Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. If you're doing it the right way, anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Freestyle Friday. Today, we're talking about podcasting. As you know, I've been podcasting for a little while and I get questions frequently about how to be a better podcaster, how to be a better interviewer. And it's top of mind for me right now because my friend Chris and I are launching a program called Full-Time Creator, which you can find more about at fulltimecreator.co. But on this episode, just talking a little bit about how you can make sure that your interviews are interesting and engaging for your listeners. And beyond that, how you can really maintain a friendship with some of the people that you're interviewing on your show rather than just getting guests and stuff like that. And you know, this is the Travis Makes Friends podcast and I'm all about bringing more high quality people into your circle and building more deep and genuine friendships. However, there are a few mistakes that you can make that will kill any interview and cause your audience to lose interest. And in this episode, we're gonna discuss the three most common mistakes made during podcast interviews and how you can avoid doing those. Number one, conversational narcissism. This is what happens when an individual tends to steer the conversation away from others and toward themselves. Consider this humorous example from an early episode of Late Night with Conan O'Brien. The key yes. is listening. The good interviewer... Just say that one more time. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> the good interviewer must listen. Too many interviewers interview themselves. The key to, to a good interviewing style is short questions... Leave yourself out of it. I has no place in an interview. There's no place. It's irrelevant. The guest counts. So I'll give you an example of a bit. Can I jump in just for a second? (laughs) No, no, I like what you said. I I like what you said. I like what you said, but I I just don't know if it works for me. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) It may not have to work for you, but I'll give you. It's my show. It's got to work for me. Late night with who? What you do is. <laughs> what you do is you take it yeah. and apply it to you. Apply it to so me. So you would go on and say, I'm a bad interviewer. Right. But this is me, and I'm going to do it my way. I and see. And so you set the tone right. for your audience. Because I have a hard time. I, I do listen to other people, but I always end up talking about myself at length on the show and ultimately making it all about me. You're saying that's probably a mistake. Well, it, it, might, keep, it might keep you on late. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You'll tend to... I think the other key to a good interview is uh, keep it short. Thank you for being here. Now, while this exchange is clearly meant for laughs in almost any social setting, this type of one-sided self-focused conversation is all too common and frustrating. It's easy to stumble into making this air because by default, we want to talk about ourselves. In fact, a recent study revealed that disclosing information about the self is intrinsically rewarding, and it showed that disclosing one's personal beliefs generated immense activity in the neural regions implicated in reward processing, the same part of your brain that lights up for stuff like food, sex, and other things that are enjoyable. 
And on the other hand, those who were analyzed while listening to others disclose their beliefs showed far less activity in the neural regions implicated in reward processing. So if you're listening to this, watching this, and thinking, that's not me, I enjoy making other people feel heard, I have some bad news for you. Although you may have good intentions, conversational narcissism may inadvertently rear its ugly head. And it isn't necessarily founded on intentional self-interest. In fact, that's not very frequent at all, even. We often give unsolicited advice, try to bring up our own comparable experiences, or make other comments that unintentionally take the focus off the individual that we're listening to when we attempt to demonstrate that we're actually paying attention. Have you ever had a conversation about a distressing experience in which the person you're telling it to cuts you off and says, I know exactly how you feel, or yes, me too, or they even worse to talk about something that was worse for them? Consider how that makes you feel. Is listener making you feel heard or validated? Or do they seem uninterested or selfish? For most people, the answer is clear. So how do we avoid being a person who responds that way? According to sociologist Charles Derber, there are two types of reactions in conversations, a shift response and a support response. The first shifts the attention back to oneself, while the second supports the other person's statement. Celeste Headley provides examples in her TED article titled, Why We Should All Stop Saying I Know Exactly How You Feel. So here's an example of what the shift response might sound like. Let's say you're sitting down with your spouse and your spouse leans over to you and says, I am so busy right now. And you respond with, me too, I'm totally overwhelmed. That's a shift response. An example of a support response would be, okay, you sit down and your spouse looks over at you and goes, I'm so busy right now. Well, the support response would be, why? What do you have to get done? The way that Headley puts it is shift responses are a hallmark of conversational narcissism. They help you turn the focus constantly back to yourself, but a support response encourages the other person to continue their story. It lets them know that you're listening and interested in hearing more, which is your job as an interviewer. And Larry King, the king of interviews himself, summarized it perfectly when he said, I has no place in an interview, although it does start with the letter I, um, but that's beside the point. All right. Number two, the second thing to avoid, lack of proper preparation. Far too many podcasters treat their interviews as a robotic game of 20 questions. They default to using the same cookie cutter questions with every guest or do just enough prep work to produce a handful of questions. They walk through one by one until they run out of talking points and then they're finally forced to end the conversation. Well, that's not a real conversation. As Jordan Peterson once said in a lecture, if you're going to speak effectively, you have to know way more than you're talking about. Consider the old iceberg example. The tip of the iceberg is what you see, right? The picture that everybody has on their wall of inspiration. You see the tip of the iceberg, but underneath there's a huge mass of ice extending far beneath the surface of the water. As interviewer, this episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented 
quality candidates, like, like, like hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. We should be more like that, to have questions and talking points at our disposal, to have access to information and knowledge that we can dig deeper, to find something interesting in that conversation. Now, it's not to imply that you have to be an expert at everything, but it is important that you have a less than basic understanding of the subject and who your visitor is, who your guest is, as well as what they're about. Do more than simply read the book you know, cover or uh, read their website bio. The more research you've done, the more you can read between the lines, the better prepared you'll be to improvise. The number of talking points available to you increases as a result of your study, which means a better episode, an improved experience for everyone involved, the host, the guest, and especially the audience. Well, there's a couple of things. Is helps to read a lot. It really helps to write. So if you want to make yourself articulate, which is a very good idea, then not only should you read, but you should write down what you think. And if you can do that a little bit every day, 15 minutes, maybe you could steal 15 minutes and do it every day. But if you do that for 10 years, you really straighten out your thinking. If you're going to speak effectively, you have to know way more than you're talking about. You know, so if you, this is often difficult for beginning lectures at university because they'll do a lecture on a topic, but they only know as much as they're saying in the lecture. And they get kind of stuck to their notes because of it. But you want to know 10 times as much as you are saying in the lecture, and then you can specify a stepping path through it and elaborate with the other things that you know. But to do that, you have to do a lot of reading, but you also have to do a lot of reading because that's where the synthesizing comes. Now, before we move on to the next point, here's a couple of places to go research the guests that you're bringing on your show. The number one and my favorite way is by listening to them on other podcasts. It's a great way to find out key information about your guests quickly because most podcasters tend to gain traction near the end of an episode. So if you're already somewhat familiar with the guest, then skip ahead to look for the gems within the episode. Listen for recurring questions asked in several interviews and avoid repeating those questions again and again. Keep in mind that if your guest never discusses something that they're never asked about, they'll be more inclined to share it with you. So beyond their interviews and other podcasts is books. If this person wrote a book, don't just read part of the book. Go beyond the back cover and the table of contents. Read at least a chapter. Read the foreword. Read the dedication. Who are they dedicating the book to? Are they important people in their life? When did the book get published? Who is the publisher? Right. Look for different things besides just 
doing what everybody else is going to do. Because if you do what everybody else is going to do, you're going to get the result that everybody else gets. Next, speeches or appearances. Listen for mentions of their motivations or their inspirations. Listen to the things that keep them fired up. Keep notes about when their energy increases during a talk or during a guesting appearance. Then go follow their social media. Scrolling through someone's social media feeds is a simple method to discover some of their primary interest and passions and even some of their pet peeves. Taking the time to jot down anything that could be worth discussing or avoiding would be highly beneficial for your prep time, especially kind of pro tip here, if you can scroll all the way back to the beginning of their feed, because there's usually some gold in there and some things that you can ask about. Now, moving on to the last mistake that you should avoid, fake curiosity. Joe Rogan attributes much of his success as an interviewer to his intentional curiosity. I've always been curious, but I've learned how to be more effectively curious as I've gotten older. Mm. This podcast has been a massive education for me, an mm. unintended, accidental education. The fact that I've been able to talk to so many interesting and intelligent people and get their perspectives and just sit across from them uninterrupted for hours at a time and get to see how their brain works and then to, to consider my own brain. Feigning interest in a subject or person for five minutes might be possible, but unless you're a true thespian, you cannot hide your true feelings for a 30 to 45 minute conversation or hour, two hours, three hours like he goes. Your tone, your body language, and other social cues are going to betray you. You should be fueled by real intentional interest in each episode that you produce. Asking great questions demonstrates that you're interested in the topic and respect your guests' time. It also allows them to talk about their experiences in an organic way, which is entertaining for listeners. If you continue to have difficulty with this, you're likely doing a podcast on the wrong topic or you need to find better guests, which is something that I've talked to a lot of people about recently when they have asked me, hey, Travis, how do I continue doing my show? I'm not getting much satisfaction from my show. My show costs me money. It's not making me money. How should I continue doing my show? And I have come now to give the advice that, hey, your show is, if it's not your primary business and you don't have to worry about making money right now, the number one thing that you should be concerned about is what will allow you to continue making your show in perpetuity in the distant future. Not just three months, not just six months. Think six years, eight years, 12 years. What would make me actually want to go create episodes for this show over a long period of time and do that more. Because even if you violate some of the rules of podcasting, like crossing over to different niches, even though you're supposed to stay in one, or creating content for a market that's outside of the scope of what you usually talk about, or bringing a guest on that doesn't necessarily fit the bill for the normal conversations that you have, even if you violate some of those rules, the number one, the cardinal rule, the most important thing is to continue creating quality content that you and your audience actually give a shit about. And sometimes the only way to do that is just to do stuff that you care about, and that will actually help you maintain consistency over a longer period of time. So good luck with the podcasting journey. If you want to know more about what we're working on over here to help podcasters and creators like you grow and monetize their audiences in a better and more effective way, then head over to fulltimecreator.co, and maybe I'll see you over there. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. 
And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.